0: Welcome to Health Creators, the hot take from founders building healthier worlds. This is Liv, and I'm here today with Mark Suberitz, general partner at Nina Capital. Let's jump in. Do you want to start by explaining kind of how you arrived into being, you know, partner at Nina Capital?
1: Yes. (laughs) So, well, previous to Nina Capital, I actually founded my own company uh, 20 years ago in the telehealth virtual care space this is what i did for 20 years mm. we started here based in europe and we very early we decided to go to the us and uh, yeah after 20 years the company i was running become a multinational company with close to 1000 employees operations in 10, co- 10 countries serving uh, leading health insurance companies globally And in the U.S. our main customers become big uh, self-insured employers and um, in year 2017, after 20 years running the company, uh, we thought we did actually all this without using uh, venture capital money, so we Mm -hmm. grow organically. Because we were uh, able to develop a subscription-based model that helped us to Uh, be very efficient in how to grow the business. And in year 2017, as I was saying, it was the right moment actually to consider uh, the possibility to find uh, a plan to exit the company. We partnered with a private equity company in the US. uh, And after that, we decided to sell our business to Teladoc Health, which was one of our main competitors in, in in, in, in the space.
0: That's cool, and how have you seen telehealth change like in the last from when you started to when you exited?
1: Yes, over time we re, I'm realizing that uh, we were kind of pioneers in the space, mm. so, so we participated in what I like to call the first wave of telehealth
0: yeah
1: we our job was to make telehealth a possibility that was from a regulator's point of view, from a, a doctor's point of view, from a payer's point of view, something that was considered uh, va- uh, you know, possible yeah. to do and adding value. Uh, but uh, how we built telehealth was a layer on top of the healthcare systems because we build our own platforms with doctors. And uh, this was kind of a bit of uh, the the telehealth in the surface. Um, What is happening now in the last decade is a bit of transformation of uh, healthcare by itself. What I I like to mention as the second wave of telehealth, where uh, the fact that doctors or healthcare providers interact remotely with patients Mm. becomes of the normal way to to, uh, interact with patients and uh, what uh, we see more and more is that we are uh, moving towards a hybrid model where every healthcare provider will be uh, part of their time dedicated to uh, uh, in-person interactions and part of the time in remote uh, uh, interactions and this is combined so all the technologies and platforms now are trying to make this possible and given the complexity of, of healthcare is not obvious, but that's wha- what is happening. So we are moving towards a hybrid m- model compared to what we did was actually a, a system that was not connected mm. to, the, to the, you know. Uh, uh,
0: so wave one was like, how do we build outside of the system? And wave two is how do we change the
1: system? Exactly. Mm. I think now it's changing from the inside. Yeah. But wave one was actually something that was uh, um, um, additional. Actually, we started with uh, emergencies, Uh, the way that the first telehealth solutions were trying to improve waiting times times and uh, avoiding uh, patients going to uh, Mm. ERs, uh, even though they had uh, Medical conditions that were not yeah. needed to be an emergency, but they were going there because they could push the 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 fact to be seen by a by a doctor. So telehealth was the best way to optimize the, them, making making a first assessment of medical needs and navigating the patient to the right level of assistance. But now a lot of the telehealth that is happening, it's it's. A, a, including uh, monitoring patients,
0: mm. uh,
1: the follow-up of patients. So trying to avoid in what situations it makes sense a patient to go to see a doctor or uh, it can be substituted by, a, you know, remote uh, interaction with the patient.
0: And you, so you started in the, like, emergency care. Um, what was, like, the turning point for you guys to really scale?
1: Well, the... The turning point to scale and that's very relevant in how we are analyzing mm. companies as well as a, as a venture mm. uh, now what you are trying to find always is a, a solution a model that can be uh, adopted by a well-selected uh, group of targeted uh, customers no? mm. so in in europe the way to do that was uh, understanding that uh, health insurers were looking for solutions to improve the the quality and the level of service that they're providing to their insured populations and uh, trying to optimize uh, when patients were going to emergency rooms. So we built a solution that was actually a win-win because uh, at some point, uh, health insurers could avoid patients going to healthcare providers when they was n- n- not needed and patients could solve uh, basic medical doubts without the need to actually go to a- an emergency room
0: so basically in healthcare uh, in order to build something scalable it's like you need to have a- a bite for patients and for the other stakeholders as well Exactly. that's kind of what you figured out. Exactly. Um, And how long did it take you to get to that point of like, okay, like we know exactly how to like sell this to different stakeholders?
1: Well, it took a while, more than I would have liked. Uh, I think uh, it took about three to four years to Mm. figure out the right model. Uh, yeah. and it was different in, in Europe than it was in the US. Mm. So because in the US, we wasted uh, some quite a bit of time looking for who was the right entry point to the market. Yeah, and we figured it out that in the US was uh, the best uh, group of customers that were uh, ready to early adopt our models were self-insured employers and uh, we spent maybe three years talking to hospitals, to providers, Mm -hmm. to health insurers and at the end we found that the ones that were ready to adopt easy and were looking to improve the quality and and were looking for innovation to sell as health benefits to their employees were large self insured employers. Once we found this um, we re- what we did is to build a, uh, a model to fully focus sale on those kind of customers and forgetting mm-hmm. about all the others. No? Sometimes there is another um, learning point to some of the founders. I see that
0: yeah.
1: you need to you have a discovery phase where you try to see what's the market fit of your product to different kind of potential customers. Each of them will ask you for some fine tuning and customization of the solution. Mm. The problem is that if you expand this too much, you can get uh, lost and you can create huge bottlenecks into your development teams because they need to build in parallel uh, 50 sets of different customization features for all the different kinds of customers. So this, at some point it becomes not possible to manage and to scale. Mm. So at some point, after the, what I call the discovery phase, you need to decide what are the segments that you want to focus on. Mm. Uh, the definition of these segments is relevant in terms of you see that they have the size that you're looking for, mm. that you think that they have a well-defined group of, uh, of uh, characteristics and features that that uh, that are the same for each of them, so that you can basically go into a copy paste uh, model. And that very important is that you have the feeling that they can reference between them. So
0: yeah.
1: when you are selling to one of them, immediately the others will watch what they are doing, and they will be as well interested in in following what the kind of leaders of the segment are doing, and this is a, the best way to scale and... Selling uh, to the leaders
0: of exactly. the segment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this will
1: allow you in a ve- So this for us was uh, in, in Europe, basically we're health insurers.
0: Mm. The
1: very nice thing about once you find found this is that exactly the same uh, platform onboarding processes um, reporting processes were exactly the same for each of the mm-hmm. health insurers we were selling. So at the end, it was about of repeating the process and put uh, uh, Salesforce to sell once and again the same model to yeah. each of the hundreds of health insurers that were available in Europe. No? The same happened in the U.S. In the U.S., once we found this uh, target segment that was self-insured employers, mm. we built uh, a machine of uh, experts in Salesforce, experts in uh, RFPs, experts in compliance, to fulfill this process. And our objective was to go from one yeah. to 200 big uh, self-insured employers in, uh, in two years that, uh, make the, that allow us to uh, get to the 10 million in revenues in the US, become break-even, and from there build you know, a case of uh, becoming a leader in, in the market.
0: So basically customize but customized for the champions of the segment, maybe. And choose. Yeah. you need to choose, choose. at some point yeah.
1: this, this thing've mm. been I've been there, and it's very difficult at some point to yeah. discard some of the customers you've been selling to
0: mm.
1: um, because well it takes a lot of effort to convince one one customer mm. but at some point you might be you might need to take decisions on what are the profile of customers you want to focus and maybe you will need to forget about other customers that uh, potentially being as well interesting but maybe less 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 easy to access more complex to manage uh, less uh, less relevant in terms of referencing to other customers all these are decisions that are tough to take but it's important that after the discovery phase you get smart on how do you want to build your strategy to the market
0: and things take longer in healthcare did that frustrate you that you know this this um company took you know 20 years to get to exit Um, and how do you kind of advise the founders in the portfolio or other healthcare founders when they're building something, right? Because we see a lot of like, not healthcare companies go from inception to, you know, sometimes unicorn in in three, four years. Is it possible in healthcare? And um, if not, like...
1: Well, in our our mindset Mm -hmm. with my co-founder, this was never, the mm. objective to become a unicorn mm. or two. Our objective was always to grow the company, to uh, serve our customers, mm. to f- uh, continue with our mission to help patients to take better decisions and to get better care. And entering new markets, we saw that uh, probably because we were pioneers. Uh, yeah. We knew that uh, it took some time. Uh, we, 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 we enjoyed doing it so when we considered the possibility of an exit was when we saw that the size of the company and, and the value would uh, be bigger if we, if we had a plan to exit or to merge mm-hmm. or, to, or to go public. but it was never the, the kind of the, the initial part yeah. of the plan. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's true that uh, we were enjoying, uh, if I look backwards, I think that probably we started uh, four or five different companies, yeah. because one thing was very different to uh, build a company in Europe than it was mm-hmm. building it in the US, uh, then we decided, so we were serving different kind of markets. At some point, we developed another business that became very profitable. That was served the expatriate populations, mm-hmm. uh, and this was actually, actually like building a very different company. Um, and probably the reason why we took more time than others to consider an exit is because we we still found a very interesting uh, new opportunities. Uh, and even though it was inside our own company, but it was like new companies, new challenges mm-hmm. to. to to fulfill what we wanted to do. The, the scenario of exiting the company was uh, real when uh, personally we started to see that we were having less fun uh, <laughs> so that it was more about to grow the company to, uh, and less about uh, personally I was lacking the fact that uh, I was spending more time in, uh, in compliance, in, uh, in growing sales than in being uh, close to innovation mm-hmm. and, and, and new, uh, new services and that is where we thought it was the right moment to consider an exit.
0: And um, when you're considering companies today to invest in, um, what are the sort of timelines you're looking at, right? Um, when, you, when you invest in a pre-seed or seed stage company, how many
1: years are you looking um, at? Based on uh, how our mandate and our, mm-hmm. our model is built, mm-hmm. so our fund uh, is a, has a lifetime of 10 years,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, could be extended to an additional 2 years, so maximum 12 years. So we are looking at companies that uh, can have exit scenarios down the road in five to seven years.
0: Okay.
1: So that's... and this is, this is challenging as you, as, you, as you said because uh, um, as a founder I have the experience that things take time
0: mm.
1: but uh, when we are investing in companies we spend a lot of time uh, putting uh, some, uh, some uh, analysis on, on why do we think that this company will have several uh, exit scenarios into this, frame, uh, into this uh, timeline of uh, between five and seven years.
0: And what are the, the top three reasons why you don't invest, do you think?
1: Some of them are very obvious that. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes is uh, we see that the space where where uh, founders it's it's crowded it's very competitive so we have uh, we see that the defensibility of this company become a champion is not
0: mm. uh,
1: is not uh, well sustained. Second is uh, market size. Yeah. So we we see that even though the product is great, the the technology and the value proposition is unique mm. the market size is not supporting a big enough uh, exit scenario for us to return the investment yeah and the third one and most relevant is we are not convinced about the team
0: mm.
1: Mm. Uh, and this relates to uh, to commitment to the knowledge on the space experience yeah so these are the main uh, the main factors we're analyzing so we need to be at the end investors that we are investing in pre-seed and seed Mm. the majority of situations we have a product that starts to have an indication of market fit but still very early Mm. Uh, so we are very much investing in the conviction that the team has the has the capacity to make it happen
0: mm. because it's about execution I execution yeah. it's
1: uh, of course ninety uh, percent of the success of every company yeah. so so this is absolutely the the main uh, but uh, of course we need to see as well in the other ten yeah. percent that this is something unique with uh, mm. with uh, uh, big potential of uh, being disruptive in the, in the space where the company is trying to be innovative.
0: And have you been wrong about a company before?
1: Well, we expect to be wrong yeah. in uh, several of the companies we're yeah. investing because uh, we are taking risks
0: mm-hmm.
1: and being wrong does not even mean that uh, the execution yeah. is not the right one. Because uh, we are, uh, when you invest in uh, pre-seed and seed, Mm. Uh, we are taking risks, so we are investing in the possibility
0: yeah.
1: of uh, some of the our founders to solve a challenge that is very big and difficult. The probability of that failing is it's uh, it's uh, there, and we are assuming that as part of uh, what we want to do. Mm. But uh, sometimes uh, when we invest, in, if this founder which has the commitment, the expertise. Uh, to try to make this possible uh, is capable on, on on doing that. This will be amazing. Mm. So that's that's part of what we are doing. So we are betting on the possibility of trying to solve things that for many years have, have been there and nobody was was uh, able to solve.
0: Cool, and I guess from like the founder's perspective we see our company and then maybe like two or three um, you know companies that we build over a lifetime but you see like so many what do you think um, what do you think is like a perspective that sometimes founders miss that you maybe capture Mm.
1: well as i said before uh, it's uh, so i see uh, lots of uh, founders that they defined uh, uh, the right product mm. and the right technology but sometimes they miss a bit to be more innovative and creative on how to develop the pricing model mm. the engagement model at the end uh, in many of the companies we invest 90% of the success Will depend on the company being able to to have utilization and engagement yeah. and to prove outcomes to to the customers, and sometimes this is less obvious on how to, uh, and how. Uh, as I in in our case, um, I would say a big part of the success of our company, the one I founded, mm. was because we developed an innovative pricing model that now is obvious, but 20 years yeah. ago nobody was offering in healthcare instead of fee-for-service models and subscription-based models Mm. so and this uh, was allowed us really to be innovative in the market and be able to to transform uh, uh, the relationship with many of our customers
0: and do you think it's um, very common in a lot of the healthcare companies you see that you have like highly technical STEM founders, and one of the biggest barriers is commercialization. Is it is it a, a specific thing in healthcare companies, or do you think it's
1: well, yeah in healthcare? That's true. Mm. Many of the innovation uh, is uh, comes from technical uh, mm-hmm. backgrounds that during their research projects have uh, came across with uh, yeah. technology that they want to uh, try to bring to the market to a company and uh, so what's important here and this is part of the assessment we do when we invest in companies is that some of the founders uh, need to be aware that 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 they might be uh, potentially not the right CEO of the company for later stages and that uh, some of the things we are doing all the time. And now I spent quite a bit of time uh, trying to bring to our portfolio companies Mm -hmm. advisors that that can be just advisors, uh, sometimes becoming uh, independent board members in companies that bring this experience and seniority on the commercialization, go-to-market strategy. Uh, Sometimes the difference between technology and commercialization and and experience in uh, go-to-market it's uh, that uh, you need the experience so you learn you know in technology you can be very smart uh, Mm -hmm. programming or developing a technology maybe because it's something that has not been done before you don't need like uh, 10 years of experience doing it and still you can develop a technology that is unique being being uh, smart or innovative in developing a a sales strategy Mm. or a go-to-market strategy sometimes needs the experience because uh, you learn Mm. by taking mistakes by by learning how to develop relationships with customers Mm. so so what we're trying to do all the time is to bring to our portfolio companies uh, senior uh, advisors. Advisors that have the experience, that can work together with yeah. our founders so that they can learn much faster uh, in the process on how to be smart on, on build these uh, go-to-market strategies.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess then if you're bringing these advisors, how important is it when you're assessing founders and founding teams of this like openness to learning and how do you assess that?
1: Well, this is not easy to assess. no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way to assist this is to spend time with founders
0: mm.
1: and, uh, and make the right questions, see the answers, see if you offer ideas, if they come back to you with uh, an elaboration of the idea, mm. if they adopt some of the ideas you are suggesting. So it's part of the process of building the relationship. So, in general, we have a group of founders that are really, yeah. you know, using a lot of the advice and yeah. we don't pretend that, uh, that uh, they follow our advice, mm. but what we like to see is that they think about the reflections we, we do with them and they sometimes they come yeah. back with a smarter mm. uh, uh, kind of uh, solution than the one we were pretending to, to, to have them consider.
0: And have you invested in a company where, you know, uh, there's, there's maybe not so much of a market, the business doesn't look great, um, but the founder just has this like determination and grit, or maybe like came and did something like uh, that is out of the usual to get your attention?
1: Yes. And this is something we expect to happen mm. when you invest uh, very early in, the, in companies. If the founder is very convinced and it's, it's motivated, uh, there might be some pivots to the uh, original yeah. idea that might be even better than the, than the idea. And I think this is part of what that will happen, I would say, with the majority of the companies where we invest. And uh, this can be uh, still the initial product uh, could make sense, but uh, some of the founders will find side products that will become mm. the main product of the company to develop and that's expected when you are investing early in companies. I, and another thing that I think is very relevant uh, and I, when I look backwards to my experience and when I see founders, mm. I think it's very important to get uh, as much as possible to the relationship with customers mm. read very well sometimes the product that you are trying to sell them it's very close to what they need yeah. but is not exactly the same so mm. your customers are the in the majority of cases the best uh, investment in yeah. in terms of learning uh, what Uh, how uh, do you need to evolve your product or Mm. how do you should change your pricing system in order to really find where your final uh, Mm. solution will be.
0: And I guess um, when you're looking at VC, it's more of like a manage the macros, right? Instead of like fixing one thing in healthcare, you're maybe fixing many things. Um, So what is the, the kind of one impact you want to leave with Nina Capital?
1: well i think that our our motivation is uh, give very talented people and uh, the support to make a difference in how healthcare is provided in the future and that's what what's our motivation and uh, this is what we are uh, What's very interesting about what you say is that uh, by investing in many different powders, we get smarter, we see synergies and uh, one of of the things that makes me very happy is when we find synergies about our portfolio uh, companies and they can learn together and they can think of opportunities to find even better ways to improve
0: uh,
1: healthcare.